You're listening to the Strong Towns Podcast. Welcome to the Week Ahead podcast with Chuck and Rachel. Chuck, how are you doing? How was your weekend? Oh my gosh, it's summer here. The kids are out of school, yeah, and uh, yeah, it was in the eighties this week, which here in Minnesota is oppressively hot. <laughs> so yeah. um, it was it was really great. I mean, gosh, it's nice to be alive here in Central Minnesota in uh, June. And what are your plans for the summer? Any cool trips? Are you hanging uh, out with your kids mostly? Yeah. Well, like tonight starts the softball. See, I'm, I'm the coach of my youngest uh, softball team. Oh, um, okay. Yeah. My oldest was on the team and now she's moved up a league, but I stayed with the team and, and now I'm the, the head coach, which is, is amazing how like obsessive that becomes and how much of it, your life it takes up because we practice a couple times a week and we've got our first game tonight. Uh, so it's, it's just a lot of fun and it's, you know, it's a, it's fun to get out to the ballpark a couple times a week and hang mm-hmm. out with everybody. And, but yeah, we've got some camping trips planned. We've got a family, you know, vacation. Uh, we're actually going to head out to Washington DC in August, which I think, nice. yeah, I think my girls are big enough now to, uh, are old enough and mature enough now to appreciate it. Uh, not only be able to walk around that much, but appreciate it. Uh, the kids are home now, so I'm going to be working from home a little bit more. We've got writer's workshop we still do in the summer. Oh, yeah. Nice. So, we, yeah, we take an, like an hour and a half you know, once a week and work on a book that they're, they're writing uh, or a, a short story, kind of, like a, you know, mm-hmm. a kid's book. And they just love, they love writing, so it's, it's kind of fun for me and it's fun for them. So we'll do some things like that. We actually the, – the craziest thing – uh, this is my wife's idea. We bought them a trampoline. <laughs> oh, awesome. It's, it's, well, it's, it's one of those like suburban fad things. I mean, like my, my, both of my brothers have them. My parents have them, but they have these huge yards. And, uh, you know, we got one and we asked my brother, like, what, what kind do you get? And he told us, and my wife ordered the same one. She's like, I really like it. Well, it showed up. It takes like two thirds of our backyard. <laughs> <laughs> It's, it's so obnoxiously huge, um, but the kids won't get off of it. I mean, they're just out there continuously. And I was even doing it last night. It's kind of fun. So we, we did that and as kind of like a last day of school present. So it's going to be a fun summer. How about you? Do you have anything coming up this summer? Interesting? Yeah. I'm getting married in a couple of weeks. That's pretty no exciting. <laughs> <laughs> and then going on an awesome honeymoon to Spain. So. Yeah. I'm so yes. excited for you. I'm excited too. I just have to do a lot of work to get ready for being gone that long. <laughs> yeah, but hey, once you get married, all the hard work ends. It just becomes really easy at that point. Yeah, life is just a breeze. <laughs> <laughs> so last Friday, we had a really good, um, strong talk, a webcast that I wanted to just mention to our podcast audience in case they missed it. Um, we chatted with Steve Schultes from Springfield. 
and oh my gosh, who else did we talk to? Jason DeGray. Jason DeGray. Yeah. Yeah. Um, from another part of Massachusetts, formerly also from Springfield, who's a transportation planner. And we all talked about Chuck's article from Tuesday, the open letter to Springfield. Um, so that was a, yeah, I think that was a really good conversation. And I keep looking out for the the press coverage that I'm on it. I'm on know, mass live right now. Oh, it's, yeah. is it up yet? No, no, it's not. It's really frustrating. Yeah, I'm checking. They were, um, I hope they're not too afraid to publish the story or something. I don't, I don't think so. I actually think the longer it takes, the better it's going to be because I, I think they're, they're digging and doing research. Yeah. But I'm anxious for it to be up because when the reporter called me, he, he basically uh, had me react to the reactions of the uh, public works people. So, oh, okay. uh, yeah. So he said, I, you know, I called the public works people and I, I asked them this question and here's what they said. What would, what would you respond to that? So it was right. actually, yeah, I'm actually really excited to read the article because they're asking people hard questions. And I, I, I suspect that's why it's taking longer to get out than, than we would have hoped. Yeah. So our, uh, our video conversation is up on YouTube. I'll put a link up and yeah, we, we've been trying to do this casual, strong talk conversation where we talk about a recent article or a important current issue. Um, we try to do it about every Friday. It doesn't always work out, but, um, tune into that if you're interested. It's a live episode every Friday. Um, yeah. Well, and it, I think the cool part of it too is that we've been able to feature a lot of our members. Mm-hmm. Um, so both both Stephen and and Jason are longtime Strong Towns members, and uh, both people that have added a lot to our conversation. It's it's fun to be able to talk about their city, but then also have them on, you know, as, as experts in a sense. I mean, Steve lives block a couple blocks away from the site we're talking about. And is a really intelligent guy in his own right. And Jason, of course, is a is a very smart guy too. But he's also got the engineering certification. And uh, you know, as a professional engineer, it's it was great to get his opinion too. So, yeah, I, I feel I like the format. Um, mm-hmm. You know, I, I like I like seeing everybody's faces, and I like to humanize the conversation. So, yeah, I think podcast listeners, if you're also uh, on YouTube, head over and and get that. Uh, I think you'll find it podcast plus kind of a thing. So this week is pretty busy one for you and all of us. Uh, we're having a staff meeting in Chicago later this week, um, which is sandwiched between two events for you, uh, Traverse city on Wednesday and then, um, an event in Chicago on Friday. So Traverse city, that's pretty exciting. Um, we're going there because they won our strongest town contest earlier this year. So this is part of their prize. Um, and I know you, you've been there before, right? So I have, some, yeah. some familiar faces, Yeah. but it should be a good event. I heard they put some, like they hung a banner across their main street advertising this. So, and I've seen it in their local papers. It should be a good turnout. I'm really excited. I mean, we've got a nice plaque for them. I know we're going to do a bike ride oh, and, cool. uh, yeah, yeah. So, um, we've got some, they've got some cool stuff planned. I, I think it's going to be really great. And I just, you know, I, I think, to be able to share our message with a bunch of people who are you know, going to be very receptive, but then also to be able to just celebrate the fact that you know, there are a lot of cities out there trying to do good work. And there's a lot of cities that are succeeding. There's a lot of cities that are 
um, you know, taking small steps and, and moving in the right direction. And I, I, you know, I, I think we're always kind of clear that, you know, this is a hard thing to do. Um, you know, we had the guys from fate on last week in our web broadcast, uh, you know, we, and, and they're great. They're wonderful. Are they doing everything like perfect? No, of course not. And I, I like the fact that, you know, we can step back and, uh, kind of get, really down to earth in a place that is actually working at it and say, Hey, uh, this is really fantastic. The stuff you're doing is worthy of praise and worthy of being shared with others. And we can all learn from it. And I feel like fate is that way. And I feel like Traverse city is that way. So I'm excited to be able to, to go and, and have that conversation. And then you'll be heading over to Chicago for a meetup with um, me, Kia, and Max, which is good. I'm excited. It's always good to see you guys in person. It is. I feel like we have a ton of work to do. And, yeah, uh, in a very short amount of time. Yeah. I want to be arriving by car at like 2 in the morning, and then uh, we got to oh, get gosh. an early start because uh, yeah. that's the way our boss is. He cracks the whip, you know. Yeah. What a jerk. What a jerk. <laughs> So we'll be working all day uh, Thursday, June 8th. And then we're also doing a meetup with Strong Towns members um, and others who are interested in hanging out in a casual setting. Um, all of us staff members will be there, Chuck included. Um, that's taking place at Carryman's Irish Pub, 661 North Clark Street at 8 p.m. on Thursday. Uh, you can RSVP and get more info on our website. So you'd like to hang out and you're in the Chicago area, please uh, let us know and meet up with us. Have, and then on Friday, we have like a ridiculous number of requests to come to Chicago. Oh, and, really? Uh, yeah. For some reason, I mean, it, it's one of those places that's like close for all of us. I mean, that's why we're all yeah. meeting as a staff is that, you know, I've got this transport uh, Chicago uh, thing on Friday and we said, well, let's all get together. Before Rachel gets married and leaves and, uh, you know, who knows if she'll come back. Um, let's, uh, yeah. let's get together one last time and make sure we're all on the same page, uh, for the summer. Um, but yeah, it, it's, it's fun to get to Chicago because first of all, it's a cool place, but second of all, we got tons of members there. So mm -hmm. yeah, if people can come out on Thursday night. It'd be great to see everybody. Yeah, and then on Friday, Chuck is giving the lunchtime keynote at the 2017 Transport Chicago Conference. Um, and I believe you need to register for that if you want to attend, but um, should be a good afternoon yeah. in Chicago. I'd like to welcome our newest members who joined us last week. Tyler Kane of Astoria, New York, Jim Daly of Little Rock, Arkansas, Annie Fairfax of Palm Beach, Florida, Bill Hudson of Pagosa Springs, Colorado, Patrick Revord of Washington, D.C., Lori Richman of Edina, Minnesota, Steve Snyder of Ipswich, Australia, and Jed Weeks of Baltimore, Maryland. Thank you guys for your support of Strong Hounds and this movement. We're so glad to have you as part of everything that we're doing. Absolutely. So happy. And uh, for the rest of you, we do have a member drive coming up this month. So we're going to be uh, asking you to, to help us. Uh, it's, it's really amazing because I, I think in the past, you know, we would ask people to become members. But I, I was, uh, you, you know, we, we, were, we were figuring out what our path was. And I think now mm -hmm. today, boy, we can really make 
an incredibly compelling case that the more members we have, the more resources we have, uh, the more effect we're going to have on the world. Um, We're seeing now more than ever when people are are getting the Strong Downs message, it is changing hearts and minds and directions in a really dramatic way. And so we've got a chance to kind of scale things up a little bit. And I'm super excited to share those ideas with you. So get ready. If you're not already a member, we're going to be coming to you this month and saying, hey, get on board. So today you published an article called This is Why Infrastructure is So Expensive. Um, And it was uh, inspired by a book that I think we've discussed on this podcast um, uh, several weeks ago, Catastrophic Care, Why Everything We Think We Know About Healthcare is Wrong by David Goldhill. Um, And I thought that was a very interesting way to frame this, this article that you published today. Well, I actually, I actually was reacting to Noah Smith, a Bloomberg columnist who wrote uh, this article called The U.S. Has Forgotten How to Do Infrastructure. And mm-hmm. I, I, the, the title of it, I realize that people who write articles often don't get to do the headline. <laughs> so I, We're not I can't big pr- enough to have a designated headline person. No, we're not. <laughs> we're not at Strong Dance. At Strong Dance, we generally do our own headlines. Although you change mine from time to time, which is fine. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but, uh, you know, I, I was reacting to the headline like, okay, at one point in the past, we were able to do it. And now all of a sudden we've forgotten. And, you know, he, he goes through and he makes, a, a, I think, a good case that a whole bunch of things that people like to blame are, are not really the things that are to blame. I mean, you know, union wages. Okay, well, we have to pay union wages here. So that makes the cost of projects, ridic- you know, high. Um, which is silly because he looks at other countries where they pay you know wages that are very similar to our level of wages, union or not, and uh, their infrastructure timetables are not as long and their costs are not as high. Mm-hmm. He goes through a bunch of things like that, and he gets to the end and just kind of like you know throws up his hands and says like this system's just screwed up, <laughs> which is is right is correct, but is also kind of frustrating because. Yes, it's screwed up, but it's screwed up in a way that if we actually recognized why it's screwed up, we could, we could do things differently. Mm-hmm. So th- this gets us to that catastrophic care book. And I, I think the brilliance of that book is how the author, a, a guy named David Goldhill, uh, frames his conversation in that book around the language and the values that people in the business have. And he actually calls it on the island, on healthcare island. Here's how they talk about things and here's their reality. And then on the mainland, uh, here's how like life actually works. And here's why they're completely different. And in infrastructure, it's not quite as dramatic as healthcare, um, but it's much the same thing. I mean, insiders have a certain way of talking about things and doing things that are very normal and very accepted but yet from the outside are completely bizarre. And I'll, I'll give you just what I think is the kind of quintessential example. Mm-hmm. Uh, engin- you know, I, was an, I worked as an engineer for many years. Our fees, the amount we got paid, was generally a percentage of the total project cost. Uh, whether it was a lump sum contract for that amount or whether it was hourly with an expectation that this was the cost estimate. Mm-hmm. Uh, basically, we generally charged about 15% of project costs went to engineering and you know other kind of overhead things, inspections and studies and that kind of stuff. So well, that means you have a big motivation to make the project cost a lot of money. 
you, right? you do. And, and engineers would say like, no, that's not what happens. That's not what we do. You know, we don't try to run up the project costs to make our fees higher. But what, what you have to look at is like the reciprocal. There's no incentive to actually reduce the cost, right? Like there's no competitive marketplace saying, uh, you know, do what you can to make this less expensive. Mm-hmm. This is one of my like core critiques of the engineering profession. Um, everything gets bigger. Everything gets more expensive. We throw an extra two feet of, of asphalt, you know, and pavement on the side of the road and we call it a, you know, whatever reaction zone buffer area. Uh, and we never sweat that. Like it never bothers us because we can kind of in our warped way justify it from a performance standpoint, but we have no one pushing us like hard to reduce costs or make projects cost less. And oh, by the way, the more the project costs, the easier it is for us to recoup our fees and not have to worry a whole lot about how much, you know, our stuff it costs. Mm -hmm. So I wouldn't, I think it's an important distinction and Goldhill makes this distinction. You know, he said there's fraud in, in the healthcare system, certainly, but fraud's not the problem. The problem is that there, there's the wrong incentives and in the engineering profession and in, you know, contracting in general, in building infrastructure in general, the incentives are all to make the project longer, take more time to make it bigger and to make it more expensive. And if you can do those things, everyone in the system gets compensated higher. Um, the reciprocal of that is there is no incentive in the system to make projects uh, quicker, uh, take less time, uh, and less expensive. There's, there's zero incentive in the system to do that. And so it shouldn't be shocking to anyone that we get projects that are huge you know, and take a long time to do. I finished writing it and I got to the end and I'm like, well, this is just me like getting ticked off about this whole situation. So I better write what I think should be done. And yeah, you had some good advice at the end, I thought. Yeah. And I think people should go read that. I think the, you know, one of, one of the four things that I brought up, uh, was the way we actually go about doing contracts. And, you know, when I was working as an engineer, there was this kind of disdain for the notion of design build, which is, you know, we would like this bridge built, someone come in and design it and build it for us and give us a cost. And, you know, we'll look at different designs and we'll look at different costs and then we'll pick the one we want and you go out and do it for that cost. Mm -hmm. Um, That was really offensive to our business model because our business model said we will design it and then we'll go through the bidding process and have someone else build it. And so the design build model kind of upset the, the apple cart in a sense. What I'm suggesting is that I think design build with an added like warranty on the back yeah. is really the way that cities should go. Um, you know, we can do most local street projects pretty, pretty, you know, efficiently and, and well uh, and at fairly competitive prices by turning over the design and the build to the same group for a you know, for a price and, and, you know, requesting certain performance measures, but then also require them through uh, bonding and insurance to warranty it for a, a longer period of time than what things currently get warrantied for, which is generally 12 months. I think if we went to systems like that, uh, it, it's, not the, it's not the total solution. It wouldn't solve every problem. It wouldn't solve every fraud instance. It wouldn't solve every cost overrun. But it would start to shift the incentives in a way that uh, did not encourage people to take a long time and run up the costs. Mm-hmm.
And it seems like, judging by the news, that the presidential administration might be um, getting around to the infrastructure part of the agenda that Trump proposed um, when he was running. So we'll see if that uh, if that happens in the next few months, and we'll definitely be part of that conversation as we have been for the last several months. Um, so I encourage everyone to visit the infrastructure page on our website because we have a lot that we've covered and a lot of interesting people that we've interviewed to get their perspectives on how we might address infrastructure spending problems in America right now. I saw two headlines today, and I've not had a chance to read either article. The first headline uh, talked about the president's focus on air, privatizing air traffic control. And the other, you know, as like the first step of dealing with infrastructure issues. And the second one uh, was a headline from the New York Times talking about how the president's infrastructure plan is going to emphasize giving money directly to cities. So I looked at that basket of things and I thought this could be interesting. You know, it's uh, one of the recommendations we made to the president's council when we were requested was that, Mm -hmm. hey, we should give more of this money to cities. Yeah, and let them here's, decide what to do. With here's it. why. Yeah, yeah. Well, and cities are you know places where you're getting more innovation. They're they're more likely to spend the money well. Uh, you're going to get higher returning projects, uh, less red tape. Um, there's a whole bunch of reasons to give the money directly to cities. I, I'm 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 going to be interested to read that article and to watch this and see if some of those things really happen because it it it's this weird political space where. You know, most major cities, if not all major cities, are tend to be blue politically or represented by Democrats. Um, the administration, of course, is Republican. Conservative mantra for my entire life has been local control and let's, you know, get things out of Washington, D.C. and get them back to local governments. Yet we see a lot of times when Republicans take power, they do the opposite. They try to mandate what cities you know, especially blue cities, Democrat cities can and can't do. Mm-hmm. So it's this very weird space where everybody's, um, you know, and Democrats, on the other hand, when they get in power, centralize things away from what their natural power base is, which is which are cities. I think it's an interesting political dynamic to see if we can get the Democratic Party to actually start talking about local control and the value of getting things out of Washington, D.C. and giving them to cities. Mm-hmm. And if we can get Republicans to actually, you know, say, OK, instead of trying to micromanage what cities do, we're going to empower them like the laboratories we constantly talk about them actually being. To me, that would be a massive breakthrough of, you yeah. know, essentially ideology merging and, and trumping partisanship. And I, I think that that would be really powerful for this country. But but we'll see. Um, it's not like people to give up power. So you were reading Catastrophic Care. Any other books that have been um, on your reading list lately? Well, I finished uh, in the last week. I finished Homo Deus, that book we mentioned last week. Oh, yeah. Um, yeah How you did have it to end? Read. Oh, my gosh. I'm... <laughs> I Are just we all like gonna die and everything. I just like laid down in the fetal position and uh, you know started sucking my thumb. That does um, not make me want to read it. Oh no, it's so good. It's so it's so good. So Deus is a Latin word for God, right? Mm-hmm. So the premise of the book, Homo Deus, is 
essentially like the next iteration of human beings, human beings as, uh, you know, God as it is essentially immortal. Um, and he, 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 it sounds like a crazy supposition yet. Let me give you two little things. When we look at the difference between genetically between human beings and Neanderthals mm-hmm. is a tiny, tiny bit of genetic difference. I mean, tiny bit. Uh, like you know not even it's it you're talking about fractions of a percent and yet this huge massive leap in cognition to where uh you know hum- modern humans are able to process and understand uh, so many more things um when we look at the merging of human beings with machines and the tinkering of genetics that we are you know now becoming capable of, of doing, uh, you run the risk or run, you know, have the, have the, uh, the opportunity, I guess, if you want to look at it that way of essentially developing a whole new species, something that is not human in the way that we think of human, but would be human in the way that we would ascribe kind of omnipotent abilities and knowledge and immortality to, uh, to a deity. Mm-hmm. And I, I think that was the, that was the intellectual leap you kind of had to had to make in this. Yeah, I think I think the other side of this is that, um, you know, because that that's a hard in a in a Jim Kunstler too much magic kind of way. Uh, I tend to be like a curmudgeon and think, okay, no, we're not going to do this like at scale. We're not. This isn't going to happen in this way. You know, so many things would have to transpire for this to this world to come about. But he points out very succinctly and very persuasively in the book that this would not be an opportunity for the masses. Like, why bother? This would be something for the elites. Mm. And I think even in a, you know, long emergency, too much magic kind of world where, you know, gasoline becomes really expensive and our lifestyles change and the electric grid is not wholly reliable the way it is now. If you see some of those pressures, if you if you think about the entire country becoming uh, a version of Detroit, Detroit still had its kind of, you know, uh, walled off areas of elites. Mm-hmm. And I think the scary thing about this book is that, uh, you know, the elites in this country and in the, the world really uh, could become very, very different than just financial elites. They could actually become truly uh, intellectual elites in a way that is really hard for us to comprehend today. So this book, I, I can't, I mean, he's not suggesting like, here's what's going to happen. Um, but he lays out, you know, here's the, here's the ethical changes we've made over the last 200 years. Um, you know, looking at humans, not as, um, you know, something in the service of, of God, if we want to say that, or, you know, we, we have meaning in life because of what happens to us after we die, but actually being human in the sense that, you know, we're an entity unto ourselves and we have meaning because of what we do with our lives today yeah. before we die. And that, that has just changed the entire relationship with our future in ways that I, I think are impossible to predict and difficult to comprehend. So I would strongly recommend the book to anyone. Homo Deus, A Brief History of Tomorrow. Yuval Noah Harari is the author, and uh, I I found it to be just mind-blowing. 
So are you going to read something light and happy to combat that afterwards? Um, I actually have been dabbling in a, another Jack Reacher novel. <laughs> so, yeah. <laughs> I'm reading a fun Empire. fiction book right now. Yeah. All right. Well, we got to run to a staff meeting in a few minutes. So we'll end our podcast for today. But thanks, everyone, for listening. And if you're in Traverse City or Chicago area this week, uh, join us for those events. We'd love to see everybody. Take care. Thank you. Thanks. We need your help. If you think the Strong Town's message is important, don't keep it to yourself. Pass it on. You can get more information and sign up to be a member of Strong Towns at strongtowns.org.